This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with lead YDP coach at Walsall Academy, Dwayne Allen. He discusses how the Academy have implemented a new style and the positives and challenges of this, how they prepare players that are suitable both for the Premier League and the level they are currently playing in, as well as how they create a positive environment for both players and staff. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Perfect. So, Dwayne, uh, apologies. Again, a little bit of technical issues there. Um, but how are things your end? All good? Yeah, just busy. Just just non-stop. So, the 16th league will start Saturday. Um, so, it's just it's just non-stop. And coming back, the school holidays is always a busy time. So, it's, it's yeah, it's really busy. I think you said the three dreaded initials for anyone that works in academy football of PMA to me a second ago as well. So I think everyone feels your pain when they when they know those words and what that means and whatnot. But for people that maybe don't know you, don't know your background, you just want to kind of explain to everyone what your role is, I guess what that entails from a week to week basis. Yeah, so my role my role's that um the lead YDP at Walsall. I've been doing it now for fourteen months. Previously I was I was the lead foundation phase here, so Throughout my time, I've, I've, I've worked with the under-8s all the way through to the 23s. Um, so day, like day-to-day, it'll be making sure that the staff are, are running to the programme, make sure the programme's running right, make sure all the players know what's going on and, and organising the programme, games, training, everything off and off the pitch. Uh, and then on the pitch, I'll lead the 16s and I'll obviously bounce in with any age group that need bouncing in if part-time staff, part-time staff are away. So the 16s will train. Three times a week, um, plus a game either for Saturday or Sunday, depending if we've got competitive fixture or, or not. Perfect. Um, this is probably quite a easy question for you to answer because of your wide range of experience. But what would we expect to see if we came to see your academy groups on a weekend? How would they play? What would that look like? We've, we, we're in the process of changing it. So we recruited a new academy manager in, in April who's brought in. And we weren't probably previously aligned. So whereas now we, we we are from nines to eighteens we are we are aligned and then the eighteens go slightly off because obviously they they got to be ready for first team football so nines to sixteens are completely aligned and then the eighteens overlap sixteens and first team so if you come to watch us at this moment in time it might look like what we want it to look like it might not it, it, it's it's what three four months into to what we're after. It'd be forward-thinking players who could play, who can play and receive off both feet, run forward, play forward, um, goal-orientated, uh, as in obviously play towards the goal uh, as early as possible. Uh, forward runs, forward passes, and then out of possession would be aggressive press um, to win the ball back as early as possible. Dominate one v ones, press aggressively all over the pitch. Uh, and then if we can't if we can't press, recover, reset, and then get ready to repress again. So that's where we are at the minute. It, it's very much forward thinking, counter counter pressing, counter attacking. As soon as we win it, we want to score. Um, whereas before, it might have been a little bit more sideways rather than forwards. Perfect. So I think from a foundation point of view, that'd be quite clear on what you're doing with those players. Obviously, you want to give them an element of 
receiving techniques, as you mentioned there, to then play forward and kind of 1v1s and try and dominate them. When you go into that YDP phase, how does that vision or that end goal of what your size uh you want your size to do, how does that affect kind of the delivery from a coaching perspective? So how's that affected the way you plan, deliver, and then I guess evaluate the so, sessions that you're doing? So it, it it does and it doesn't affect it really. So we've got best practices, so every group will deliver a best practice, which is a as a we work off, depending on the length of the session, we'll have a 10-minute warm-up and then four activities of 20 minutes. So for every session, nines to 18s, we'll do a 20-minute best practice. That's that's a, a passing practice that, that we've created as a club that we, we copy. So we go, under nines might do a diamond, under 10s might do the same, all the way through. So they're doing the exact same. So in theory, if a 12 plays in the 13s, he's moving from one phase to the other, he will be, he'll be experiencing similar sessions but then when it goes to 16s you might become more of a unit and group-based sessions rather than individual unit-based sessions if that, if that makes sense so it becomes more game related as you get older whereas and it's it's and we're still individually based because we only get nine scholars a year but it becomes more of combinations in the final third rather than ball striking let's say and so looking at it from that, um, it seems like quite a structured approach. What's the rationale for having that structure and making sure that I guess the coaches are following that? that it's structured. It's structured with regards to this is what you're delivering, but the coach has got the freedom to make up the session. The only thing they can't change is the best practices. So the best practices we believe are all going to develop the consistency technically. So if you, if you, if you go and watch the 18, the 18s or the first team train, they'll still do a passing practice that works on the repetition of receiving and playing off both feet. So we believe if, if we get nines, tens, elevens, twelves doing it comfortably, when it gets to 16s, it's just a repetition of, of doing it rather than, rather than coaching it. Um, but the, like I say, the, the, the coaches are still free to deliver and develop sessions that tailor their group. So although we're working off the same syllabus, the 13s and the 16s will need something completely different. So tonight we're on middle third. Tonight I think we're on the middle third. So all the sessions will be based around the middle of the pitch. So one one session we'll do um, in possession. So the sole, the, the sole focus will be in possession, but the other coach will work out of possession. And then the flip side, the second session, they'll do out of possession in the middle third and the other coach will do in possession. So in theory, they're getting three hours of um, the same topic, but the principles and the focus swaps. And then they'll have a session where it will be ILP work, unit work, uh, and really specific to that player. And so I, I quite like, it's quite a unique way of doing it because I, I think there's a massive push and you would have seen it with the FA and stuff to go kind of down a constraints-based model and go in small-sided games and stuff. And I feel like they've obviously making that shift away from the kind of skill practices you mentioned that focus on that. Have you seen a benefit to this work and what does that look like when you're part of so, your games programme? So over the last, yes and no, really. So obviously, as I mentioned before, it's quite early. But we, we still do all, obviously, all the constraints-based sessions. We just, for 20 minutes of every session and every practice that they do, they'll do 20 minutes of, of receive back foot, play back foot, receive back foot, play back foot. And if you're watching a practice from four weeks ago to where it is now, yes, they've got better. Like, there's more consistent. It's recognising the triggers of my movement to receive back foot to play forward. 
Um, so yes, the, the, it is getting better. What it's going to look like in the game program, we might not know for another for twelve months. But if we can, if we can make technically better players that are comfortable off receiving off both feet, and then when we do put them in them constraints-based practices and and and, and the opposed practices, we're hoping that they're just more comfortable on the ball. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And you said, and seeing if you can replicate that that skill, and then obviously moving it in, into the game-based stuff. And so, as a staff, I'd imagine you know that's a shift from what you've done previously. How have you guys as a staff found that shift? And what was it before? What type of practices did you still have an element of that, or is this kind of a complete one eighty? No, we we we've we've had an we've always had an element of it, but it was it was never aligned. So we'd always do a passing practice. But it might be back foot, front foot, front foot, back foot, or, or whatever it is. Um, whereas now it's really back foot, back foot. So if you're looking at your full back, how often does a right back receive the ball with his right foot and then pass it with his left foot? It would be front touch forward to play forward. Even as you're seven or you're 11, like we play a 4 2 3 1. So even, even if you're seven or 11, if they're going to receive back foot, you very rarely next, next pass. Is with, a front, is with their front foot, let's say. So if, if the seven takes it with his right foot, either attacks the full back down the line. And, and we talk about box crosses, so we're getting into the area and looking to cross rather than the wide crosses because data shown that more goals are scored from that, that area than this area. It, it, it's probably more realistic to the game. Whereas we're not saying that there are practices where we look at back foot touch, front foot pass. So if you're looking at switching play, we do... We do um, an eight, a, a diamond. So the central, the, the bottom three will be um, back foot, back foot, back foot. And as it goes in, it'll be back foot, front foot. So we do do it. It's just recognising what what the high percentage of, of passes and, and touches the players take in games. Yeah, I think that makes complete sense. It said, like, it sounds silly. I, the one I always liken it to is just sent a half doing finishing practices. Because actually, yeah. how often in a game is he actually going to be in the finishing position? Now, he might do it just for a bit of ball striking, for a bit of fun at the older age groups. But actually, time probably at that PDP phase could be spent better elsewhere rather than yeah. joining the finishing. And like you said, from a statistical point of view, that seems to make sense, what you're saying there. And then if you look at how many left-footed centre-backs do you play against? So if we... Like we we've had the conversations of if if we can't if we can't find a left footed centre back with regards to go out and recruit one or scout one or wherever because if you look the most teams we play against in our games program and, and we've played cat ones over the summer so we've played some big cat ones over the summer Crystal Palace West Ham Stoke I wasn't at them all but watching Stoke the other day their left sided centre back was right footed so if we can create a program where technically our under nines by the time they get to sixteens have done. 20 minutes, two or three times a week of, of passing off right and left foot. Will we create our own left-sided centre-back? He might have started right foot, but will he, be get, will he get that comfortable through repetition that we create our own, where he's actually good enough to play right back, right centre-back and left centre-back because he's that comfortable on the ball? And have you seen any data about other cultures or countries that do a similar model to this and how it's produced for them? No, we, we, we literally just went off. So like I say, it, it's... It's four months in, so it's four months in, and, and we worked with our FAYCD here, and and what the FA has seen, and what what's happening in the Euros, and we've just gone around that route. Really, we've seen this obviously the stats from Belgium around the foundation phase, the two v twos, the three v threes, and the four v four touches that they get, whereas 
we've just really tried to look at what we're doing. So what, what are we creating? If we're going to create a first team player, what does he need to be to play in our stadium compared to, you know, and you know what, we, we don't hide the fact of that if, if there's an opportunity for one of our players to go on and move to a bigger club and, and we sell him on, then, then we've done that as well. So it's creating, it's creating opportunities for them players to go on and be either in our first team. So what does our first team look like? So we could aim, we aim to create Premier League players because we're trying to create the best player we can. And obviously we've got an under 18 currently playing every week in the first team. But what does the League Two player look like? What do they need to do at League Two? Because if we're going to get them a career at Walsall, they've got to have that as well as whatever. So looking at Europeans like Spanish or German might not relate to us and what we're trying to do because what could could Messi do what he does in League Two on the pitches that he plays on and against the players that he plays against? So he probably listen, he probably could, but like he's the first name that comes to my head. Yeah, no, I think that's a really valid point. I guess as a as a staff, how do you manage that? Because as you said, I think that everyone, if you ask any coach coach football, they'd be like, I'd love to play free throw in attacking football where we pass and receive. But like you said there at times you will go away, there'll be some dodgy pitches that you're playing on or you're playing against a load of man mountains that go really direct would make that difficult. So as a staff, how do you manage that to go in? This is what our reality is in terms of where the first team may be, but yeah. also so, at the top level, this is what we actually want to try so and produce. We, we just go down the same route of this is how, this is how we're going to play. So it doesn't matter who we play against. We played, our under-15s played Stoke on Tuesday and we went down the route of we want you to play, but we want you to play forward at the earliest opportunity. So that's not that's not a clip from the centre back into the seven hopeful pass. If that passes on, you do it. But if that's playing, if that's goalkeeper to centre back, centre back to CDM, CDM to ten, ten to seven, and we're out, that's fine. But what we don't want is what and what we did for, for elements of the game was play around the back and invite the press because potentially some of our players haven't got the technical ability to do it yet, or we're going to be playing against better players because we're playing against the Cat 1 in Stoke. So we're not saying that we'd come away from our philosophy depending on who we're playing against. We'd still play the way we're trying to play in the act. So out of possession, we, we attempted to aggressively press them all over the pitch, get tight, um, stop them from playing high up the pitch. But we might have to recognise, well, actually, we need we might need a six-foot-four centre-half who heads the ball in League 2, but he's not the greatest with his feet. However, as, as a coach... Our job is to get him better with his feet. We wouldn't not recruit players that we feel don't fit the model or we recruit what we feel is either better or different than what we've already got and then try to mould them the way our principals want them, really, if, if, if that makes sense. So we're not saying this is what... So we give, we give our boys five options. When you've got the ball, this is A, this is B, this is C, this is D, this is E. If A is not on, look for B. If B is not on, look for C. But you might go back to A. So it's trying to get them to probably understand that there's not just one way of playing. So you look at Man City now, everything's short, everything's everything's through, and, and they do go long occasionally, but they try they try and do that football. And you've watched their academy, they try, they try and do that football. Whereas if you we've played Cat 3's now games program that clip it long. So we played Kidderminster Arias the other week, Preston Mine, they've gone in they've gone in behind us because I our probably centre off has never seen a ball in behind him. So we've got to try and create a games program that a gives them all them different variations. So we play cat ones who, who who might play a little bit more, and we can chase them and whatever. And then we might go and play grassroots teams who we know are going to be big, physical, and 
and stronger than us and go longer than us and the centre half's going after Eddie for, for an hour rather than having it in around his feet for an hour. So we try and tailor for all for all possibilities, but our principles when we have the ball won't change. No, I think that makes complete sense. I think the great games programme bit you're on about there is a really interesting space as well because um, I don't know about you, I find at times it can be monotonous in terms of the way that people play. So it's like we want to press from the front and we want to play out from the back. But that yeah. variation you discussed there, I found really refreshing for the boys. And actually, I feel like they, at times do get found out from that scenario you said where they're so front foot they never even consider that someone may play the ball into the space behind them. I don't know so if you we, found similar. So I, I was I was previously a Cat 1, a local Cat 1, part-time, uh, come here full-time five years ago. Um, exact same. So we'd, we'd play out from the back, press from the front. Whoever we played, we'd play out from the back and press from the front. So when we go to a Cat 1 now, we've got an idea of what's going to happen. Whereas they're looking at us potentially going, don't know what's going to happen here. So I found coming here a real eye-opener with regards to not all academy football is nice pitches, lovely football, technically good players who, who can run. It's, it's actually, I remember playing Berry in my first year and they literally put a number nine up front at under nines, went long to him and he scored loads of goals. Now, if you're a centre mid and your son's playing centre mid, you're probably not happy about that. But actually, it's a different way of gaining success. So our boys like stood up and, and, and pressed up and, and stopped lines, whereas actually you might only need to drop off to stop the ball in to encourage out. So we always say now to, to our goalkeepers and our centre-halves, it's recognising a high press. So you, you might clip longer into the into the full-back or the seven, depending on where the pockets of space are, or if they drop off, play out. But you've got to have both in your armoury to be able to play. You can't always play out and you can't always go long. Yeah, no, and I think that, I guess, decision-making piece is a big one. Um, for for you guys, in terms of looking at that wide-ranging fixture fixture list and fixture programme, etc., how creative can you be with it in terms of what do you get dictated to you and what are you able to go and seek, etc.? So we get, obviously, we get a games programme every Sunday. Um, don't have to play them all. We, we we should have had Carlisle on Sunday, which is a four and a half hour journey or, or five hour journey, depending on where you live. So we don't we've got an agreement that we don't play Carlisle. So this week our fifteens will play a grassroots team who, who are local and, and we will use it A for recruitment, but be a different challenge. Um our thirteens and fourteens will play Wolves in the week, nine v nine. So obviously traditionally eleven v eleven at thirteens and above, but we we're gonna play nine v nine. So I think I think since like the AYAs come out and, and different courses have come out, I think there's a different a different mentality to to some people to go and change it. So our 14s are at the um, St George's Park two weeks ago in the, in the England DNA Cup as part of the AYA. We played Preston, Forest and West Ham. We played 11v11, a 7v7 and a 3v3. So the different formats are surely just encouraging different players like in different and different again outcomes so what us playing 3v3 against West Ham we were, we were from from my experiences back in the day we were excellent 1v1s let's put our three players who need to improve 1v1s against their three West Ham boys who, who I know we're going to be excellent at 1v1s because they probably play more street football and cage football than we do in, in the Midlands 
Did you, did you see anything in particular from your boys that surprised you in terms of outcomes or, you know, going from a bigger pitch to a smaller pitch? You go, oh, actually, I didn't realise that he was so capable of this particular skill. To, to be fair, I, I didn't go. Um, I, I was I was in Kidderminster taking the under-13s, but it was interesting that the staff preferred the 11v11 because that's the game. So we've got an ex-pro and... and somebody who used to play and they they said they preferred the 11 v 11 because it, it's the game and what have you um but the boys like the 3v3s and the 7v7 because they get more touches and, and, and probably more success to them so it's interesting really that what do what do the boys enjoy doing scoring goals whether you're 18 or or, or working with the 18s and the nines is probably no difference they're just older and more experienced the the, the love of the game's still there like that, they, they do it. They commit to it because they hopefully they love it, and obviously they want to be a pro. But if you don't love coming to work every day, you're not going to do it. So it was it was interesting, really. That and I, and I think it's difficult to get away from the winnings. The the winnings, the measure. Whereas like our academy manager now says, you have to want to win, but you don't have to win. There's an importance, and and we we got a lesson at Stoke with the 15s on Thursday, and he went, listen, I don't. I don't care about the result, but you have to do X, Y, and Z. If you're not doing X, Y, and Z, you're going to struggle at this football club. But don't worry about the results. Yeah, I think the, the the word I use quite a lot is that compete. I was like, if you compete, I can take losing 10, 12 nils. It's a golfing physicality or golfing class. But I feel like you've worked as hard as you possibly could and you've tried to make good decisions that haven't come off. But if I see people not sprinting to close down or not recovering properly that you know that compete element for me is big yeah and we go, we go down the route of listen, we want to win every game every objective or every team talk like that that I definitely deliver is we're here to win lads we're not here to we're not here to work hard and we're doing whatever however I've got like a, I almost use a fault and this is me personally I use a force if you win and work hard and dominate excellent if you lose, but you've worked hard and dominate, excellent. If you win, but you've you've not played your best, or let's say a one nil scrappy win where we've defended and, and not really played and and allowed it to be dominate, good because you found a different way of winning. However, what's more important? And then if we lose and we don't play well, then obviously that that's not acceptable. But the the ones the traits we're looking for is that aggression, the work rate, the principles. If we play, so we drew three three with Kidderminster, drew three three with Kidderminster. We're an academy, they're a grassroots team. A few, oh, so that's not a great result, is it? It's not a great result, no. But for eight minutes we battered them. It was the hottest day of the year. We had ten outfield players, two goalkeepers, so we didn't have a sub. And for eight for seventy eight minutes we battered them. Just couldn't score, so we lacked quality. Pressed aggressively, played forward. Wingers attacked and got crosses in, just weren't aggressive in enough around the box to score goals. Got done by one ball over the top, um, and a mistake somewhere that, that we ended up losing. Oh, there was the other one was the, the goalkeepers flipped the ball in the air. He's not ready for 11 v 11 goals because they should be playing the smaller goals. And, and unfortunately, we, we didn't have the facilities. So actually, like, the result's a bad one. If you look at, we've played Kidderminster, grassroots team, it's a bad result. However, the performance was excellent because for 78, 80 minutes, you've had all the ball, you've had all the attacks, you've aggressively defended, you've recovered well. On the hottest day of the year, you've worked hard. So which one is it? 
Yeah, no, it's good. I, I think that's a really nice framing for everyone, kind of having that four-pronged approach, if you like. From your experience of seeing those players that, um, as you mentioned, you've got so you know an 18-year-old who's now in the first team and stuff, and you mentioned earlier around 18s more closely aligned to what the first team are doing and how that looks. Um, is there anything in particular you can kind of put your hat on to say those individuals that go into that scholarship age group or become, end up becoming young pros and being in and around the first team, they have this. They have a particular skill or particular... So, yeah, there's, there's been a few here, to be fair. So there's, there's Alfie Bates, there's Ram now. There's a few that have, have got the qualities, obviously technical, tactical, but psychologically, like, no matter what the score was, no matter how they did at the weekend, they trained the exact same on the Monday. They always had the desire to be the best in the group. So I think you find that, and I, and I found this going from like FDP to YDP, the intensity increases and the work rate increases and the quality increases. So going from 18s to first team, who can go up there and has the attitude to be the best? So you might not stand out for your technical ability because you're playing with people, the pros that have been in the game for however long. So their technique are going to be okay as well. But you might stand out for your attitude to work, or you might stand out for your attitude to get around the get around the pitch and and, and make tackles and, and do the other side before your technical ability comes out. So for me, like there was one player here a few years ago, and we're still talking about him now to all the scholars. He was probably technically the best player we, we we've seen in the academy, but he didn't get a pro because he didn't work hard enough. So without that hard work, because it, when it does become your your full time job, going from part time football to full time football like now. Like the stuff that I do, the part-time staff dreaming of being a full-time footballer, I'd never believe I'd do. So I'm washing the kits as we speak. The, the kits are in the washing machine from the weekend and I'm going to have to put them in the dryer then, then fold them up and them in. So seeing things like that, I think going from 18s to first team, if you don't want to work hard and you're not one of the first in the building, last at the building, showing your face, running around and, and having that desire to be the best in every session, you probably won't get a pro. Because he's, he's in, there's probably... 75 other kids who are technically all right but don't really want to work and do you see that from the younger age groups so that have they always had that in there you listen to like the high performance podcast they talk about cultural architects are the ones that are always like that or do you do you see that as a skill or, or something that can be developed if you're in the right environment I, th I think there's a lot of things that add to it i think there's a lot like obviously they spend what 20% of the week with us, 80% at school or wherever else. So if they don't work hard at school, they're going to work hard at football. Maybe they might really love football. If they haven't got that drive and belief at home with regards to... So I always find that the best, the players that work harder are the parents that let them do it. So the parents that are screaming at them and shouting at them, do they want to work hard because they want to work hard? Or do they want to work hard because their parents are making them work hard? So the minute they get into that scholarship thing and they can relax a little bit because you haven't got dad who they love to bits screaming at them on the touchline, like what happens then when you have to do it for yourself? So I think there's loads of factors that come in. So you're talking some of the best players that we've got here and we, who've gone on to play first team or moved on. There's two in the top of me. There's one in the first team now and one we sold recently. We're both middle of the group at 13s, 14s. There's better, better technical players than him. But they always had the desire to work hard. And I'm not saying that 
I'm not saying the technical players didn't have the desire to work hard because some have done all right as well, but they've they've almost overtaken them because of their desire to to be the best. And then ultimately, as you said, it kind of comes from them in terms of being able to do the extras that they need to, or I guess listening to what you said there, being in that first team environment and being in a position where actually if I'm behind in terms of my technique or my understanding as I might be an 18-year-old, I still want to be the best, so I might go and win the running, or I might go and be the most regained, so I have some sort of value within that group. You, for me, like you just look at the players in the Premier League now. Would James Milner have got through an academy if he didn't work hard? So he's technically really good. I'm not saying he's technically poor, but what stands him out above the rest is he's the first in the fitness. He's the first every year he wins the fitness tests. So if he didn't have that attitude to work hard, where would James Milner be now? He's players like Ronaldo. Like, is he technically gifted? Possibly not, no, like a Messi. But his attitude and desire to be the best and live live a life where he's an elite athlete mentally off the pitch has probably got him to the levels he's got to now. So I think, I think it's hard to say what makes a footballer because nobody knows. But I think looking at the journey from eight and nine, they all work hard at nine. Because they love the game, they look, and anybody that doesn't love the game, we won't take. Because if you don't come into training with a smile on your face, enjoying enjoying it, it's going to be hard work for us and and them. So how do you mate, motivate an eight year old to get up at half past five on a on a Sunday morning to travel to Morecambe to play Morecambe away? Probably can't. So they've got to love it. But I think as you as you move through and it becomes more of a job, and there's more distractions away from the club, girls school work, injuries on the beer or they're going to, to watch whatever team you support on a Saturday at 16, 17, 18. Have you still got the, the psychological, mental capacity and the commitment to football? So, you know, I'm not, we're not saying don't go and, and enjoy your life because it's important, but make sure that when you're here, you're 100% committed because that's what you want to do. I think some players see a scholarship as they've made it, whereas others see as the opportunity to make it. And in terms of uh you guys as a staff preparing them for that jump how do you yeah. do that one i guess on the bits all around it like we're discussing here which is the work rate the extras etc and then how do you do that from a tactical perspective because i think life uh, we're all fully aware as managers in this environment can be quick change you know a bad run of results and all of a sudden you've got a new manager coming in that you might have gone from playing really direct in a 4-4-2 to all of a sudden playing in a 3-5-2 with overlapping fullbacks. So how do you prepare them for the, I guess, the the, the social, the, the the bits you can control in and around it? And then also, how do you as a staff prepare yourselves and prepare the players to allow them to be flexible enough to cope if, if something does change at the drop of a hat? I think... I don't think we can. I don't think we can get caught up in the in what the first team do. I think the 18s have to potentially, depending on if we get a new manager that comes in that wants to play a different way, they might have to be slightly different. But from 16s down, I think we stick to our, our principles because I've been here now and we've had five first team managers. I've been here five years. So you're talking, that could have been five changes in five years. I don't think you can change with the first team. I think you have your principles and we make the best footballers that's technically tactically um, psychologically social and we make the kids the best people so uh, we, we're massive on and I'm massive on getting to know the, the boys as, as as boys what do they enjoy what do they 
what makes them enjoy what do they do to enjoy themselves away from football so one of our under 13s who plays in the 14s goes fishing with his granddad i didn't know till covid and he told us so he gives us different conversations to have with him so we're big on what's the percentage of academy footballers in the whole country that are going to make become a pro one percent two percent if that so we've got you've probably got more chance of being a pro at warsaw than you have at man city because of of the avenues into the first team so if we're saying one percent of our boys we've got nine the 99 percent of boys what if what if one of them goes to do my job so if i give them the best experiences social psychology on the best footballing experiences we might create the next the next me at warsaw football club we might create the next first team manager at warsaw football club we we believe in you know we have excelling boys obviously we have excelling boys that we believe are the best to become a pro but we also focus on the lower end boys and, and doing what's best for them whether it'll be when we release them whether we find them a different club or help them to get into grassroots club whilst doing education so we're quite on the budget we've got we're quite supportive when we can and we're in the process of hiring an academy player care which obviously all academies are getting so when that happens we'll, we'll be even in a better position to to help them more as people especially when they leave the club yeah i think that as, as you've alluded to there it's kind of a big push in, in football in general trying to take care of, of the players and making sure they're supportive it sounds like you're already kind of in that that space looking at it de uh geography wise obviously you have a lot of clubs within your region which i'd imagine presents a variety of different challenges um I guess from a selling point for you guys, what is it that you think your club is able to do maybe better than some of the other clubs in your area? And are there any particular challenges that comes from having so many big teams like Wolves, Villa, Leicester, kind of all, all in relatively within that catchment area? We've just we've just got to try and uh, why why do you play football? Because you love football. So we've got to try and create an environment that when the boys come in. They're skipping in, they're learning in, they're happy when they see me, when they see the staff. They're happy to see us. They're not, oh, I've got training tonight. Because if it's, I've got training tonight, like, listen, I have the conversation and we'll, we'll find an avenue what you go and enjoy because we don't want you to come to come here if you're not going to enjoy it. So we've, you've got to enjoy it because we're not going to compete budget-wise. We're not going to chuck kit at them. We're not going to, we're not going to, parents have to drive their own self to away games. So it's a big commitment. So we're honest with them we're only ever honest with them if, if we if we like a boy before we sign him we'll, we'll this is, this is what you're agreeing to are you still happy to do that yes here we go brilliant but we know where we are we know what we've got and, and it's almost like the academy manager will describe it as it's almost the pull of the club because we haven't got anything like we haven't got millions of pounds to spend on a training kit we've got one astro but it's the same game whether you're at Wolves or you're at Walsall like part-time staff at this moment in time a gold dust to get hold of so especially with the amount of clubs in the area so we've just got to create an environment where the staff are happy the players are happy and people enjoy coming to the club whether that's me as as a full-time member of staff that's whether it's the academy manager or whether it's the, the under eights we've got to create an environment where they love coming and they get opportunities so we still play the big clubs so over the summer we've played man city crystal palace stoke birmingham so we've got links with the clubs, like we're playing Wolves, we play West Brom, we play Villa, we play. So we've got the links with the clubs, and then they'll send us players that they think might be good for us if they, if they're not going to take them. So 
he's just it's he, he, almost trying to grab the food whilst you can being the first puppy in the bowl trying to get as much food as you can before the bigger dogs come in, come in at it all but then you know what if, if if a player feels like it's a better opportunity to go and sign for wolves as long as they're open and honest with me all, all, all the best like that if you if you feel that's what's best for your son, if you're open and honest with me, if it doesn't work out at Wolves, come back to, come back to us. If you're not open and honest with me, like I, I'd like to, I think I am with them, then that, that's a different conversation. One thing I want to pick up on that you said there was around the making a happy place for staff as well, because I think that sometimes you can forget that they're ultimately the kind of first port of call for the players, and if they're yeah. in a negative or down space that probably transmit to what the players actually see and receive. So from that perspective, have you got any particular strategies you use, tactics you use, or is there anything you do to try and keep that vibrancy around the place, you know, wet and windy, wet and windy January evenings and stuff when you're all getting tipped down in rain, it can be hard to keep morale. So is there anything you do in particular to try and help that? Um, I th it's, again, it's difficult because we haven't, we haven't got anything. We, we literally, it's not as if we've got a room to socialise in. It's without without parents or players being around, so they come in the office. So we just try and make them feel part of it. So if we do, if we do, um, so when we were setting up the new syllabus and the principles and whatever we we're doing, we were doing questionnaires for them. They were they were involved. We try and get them involved in. So if there's a decision on releasing releasing a player, let's say, um, they're involved in it. So they feed back to me almost a case of as well as if there's a boy that let's say there's a boy that we want they want to sign that i don't like or i'm i'm, I'm not not that i don't like that um i'm unsure of don't see what he adds to the group don't see whatever because i, I haven't seen him enough rather than me like going right no that's it i'm not having him go on then what what what, what do you see what do you think was convinced almost sell me sell him to me and then if, if you want him that badly and you think that off you go, but like, and then if it goes wrong, there's a bit of banter down the line or or whatever. There's, I just I just feel like if I'm open and, and honest with them, they'll be open and honest with me. And if they ask me questions about my, my personal life, like married, kid, did and all of that, I was the I was it's just knowing people again. It's it's being people friendly. They do this. They probably do it as a hobby. So they do it as a hobby that you used to enjoy doing. That has now become a job. So. Wherever they, if they weren't coaching here, where would be the coaching? Grassroots. That, because they love football. That's what they enjoy doing. They're in a lucky position and a fortune position that we, we get paid slightly for what we do. So if we create an environment where, for me, they feel worthy, they feel part of it, they feel they've got to stay on what we're doing and the way we're going, then happy days. And then it makes the, it makes the times when I do have to moan at them, lads, your PMA is not done. Lads, this isn't done. Lads, you've forgot this football on the pitch. Lads, we've lost 15 balls in the garden. We got it makes it, it evens them times out. So, I think I think I'd like to think I was as an open and honest and, and welcoming kind of person. So hopefully they see that as well. Yeah, I think as you said, that involvement piece is a big one as well. If you are going for a bit of change in terms of curriculum and stuff, just getting them involved in that space is actually. They feel part of it, more part of it than if you just go right. This is what we're delivering now. Kind of, kind of crack on with it. Um, we we try and as well. We've got we had a volunteer program in place that worked really well. So we we tried to get level 
coaches were level two into work with the pre-academy because obviously it's not governed by the EPP. So we had a B licence overseeing it, but a level two and then help them on the coaching career. So we've had we've had a few where we've had one he come in as a B licence, worked as a volunteer, did our under nines, did our tens, went to West Brom. We had three come in, uh, all level twos. All three got on the B. One progressed into the nines, did a really good job, but unfortunately had to give it up because his 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 wife's from a different country and during COVID she was getting homesick and him being out at the weekends was was causing friction. So he had to, he had to leave and, and we were sad to see him go. We've got one of the other three now taking the nines and one left to become a scout and now he's working at a local grassroots team. So we try and create our own staff as well. So you give a little bit to us and we'll help you career-wise. Yeah, I think that that's a big initiative in terms of that space. And I also think, like you said, being able to give something back to those grassroots groups as well. You know, if someone does decide that actually... I've had this experience at Warsaw. Now I'm going to go and work in this grassroots space and improve that environment or that club. It's a good and useful link to have because you feel like it's not always take from those type of environments. You've given a little bit back as well. Um, so I, I'm conscious that we're kind of at the time we allotted for this. So I'm going to go for the thing because you're a very busy man and I know the life of the coach you mentioned with PMA and kit washing and probably a million one things to do. So we'll, uh, we'll ask one last question. Uh, we'll ask one last question, which is who is the best coach you've worked with or against and why? Uh, to be fair, I've probably been fairly lucky throughout, throughout, me, throughout my career. Um, I've worked with some good people, some good coaches. Um, there's one, there was one in my early career at, at Wolves. Um, they're now a ca head of academy operations. Jo John Hunter Barrett was was a massive um, influence, a massive help. We still, we it's less we speak now because obviously we're both busy men, and he's probably slightly more busy than me. But like he he was very very beneficial and, and very helpful. Um, then there was there was another one called Dan Bolas, who's now the Carve Academy manager. He was at Wolves with me, and, he, and he's been very, very helpful and and really supportive. And then current, our current academy manager, uh, Rob Williams, was he was the head of coaching when I first come here. Um, he started at the same time. Really, really made me think about what I was doing. So when he when he was giving feedback, he was very, very much made me question what I did rather than tell me what I did. And, and it really helped me. And, and we'd sit down and we'd thrash ideas out and we'd, we'd really experiment with different things. And then he left, stayed as an influence on the phone. So if there was ever a time I was, I was thinking of a new job or thinking of challenging myself, doing something different, I'd get on the phone and speak to him. Uh, but he's come back now as academy manager. So again, he's very, very much, he's, he's a different person when he was at a coaching because he's a manager now. But even now, he's very, he's very, very influential and 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 affects me a fair bit. Opposition-wise, you probably take bits from from everyone. Really, if there's some that you take bits from, so there's, there's some Cat One teams that won't staff won't speak to you when you go to their training ground, which obviously you you hope that you're not like that. Um, unless I'm in a bad mood and the kids have kept me up all night, then I'm, then I might not speak to anyone. But then like. There's others, that, there were cat ones that treat you treat you with respect. So we were at Everton a few years ago for an under eight game, and they got us in after, sat us down, like talking to us in their little restaurant, 
like give us a bit of food, like which obviously we we didn't expect they didn't need to do. So we've gone above and beyond slightly. But I'd probably I'd probably say there's there's a fair few people that have that have, have influences. I think part time staff I've learned from, full time staff I've learned from. But the three that I've named have probably they've been the biggest influences from from an early on career really. So as a as a young coach going into Wolves, I say young, I was I was what twenty five, twenty four, twenty five. Starting in the development centre, going into the pre-academy, then the academy was was really an eye-opener, really. And then coming coming from Wolves to Walsall, where you've gone from three, what, two AstroTurfs, all the grass pitches you want, 20 balls per age group, to, to here where you've got one AstroTurf, staff with no kit, like three balls between six age groups. And it's like, it, 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 and that's obviously that's an exaggeration, but you go from one extreme to the other, I think, being in being in this environment, being in this situation, everyone wants to be at a Cat One. I've got ambitions to go back to a Cat One full time, whether it's an academy coach, a lead phase, or, or whatever. But like being in this environment has taught me so much about me, about the job, about ins and outs of the academy, and how lucky that the Cat Ones have got it. Really, when like I'm the kit man, I never did that. Like my old club, I. I what, what, what am I doing tonight? Kit man, counting balls, counting cones, blowing the balls up, blowing the, letting the balls down, sorting the players out, speaking to parents, talking to the trialists, sorting with the other recruitment. So, whereas a cat one, you've obviously got more staff to do that. Whereas was here, it, it's it's me or it's me or no one. Yeah, I think that um, that would be a common theme that a lot of people will, that will resonate with in terms of that that transparency between that. But like you said, I think what you mentioned there is a lot of that personal touches kind of mean a lot to you mentioned the other clubs and obviously those people taking personal opportunities to speak to you and try and improve you and stuff so yeah really good conversation and fascinating conversation into kind of your world and working environment and stuff so yeah really appreciate your time and hopefully catch up with you again soon Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.